This is Sarah Lemon, author of the Holdish blog and food writer for the Mail Tribune newspaper in Southern Oregon. This podcast is produced for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. You can find it online at mailtribune.com forward slash podcasts and read my blog, The Whole Dish, at mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and many of us won't be able to see our mothers in person. In those kinds of circumstances, I think a lot of people turn toward things that remind them of their moms, whether that's items in their home or a food, a particular recipe mom used to make. And I know I have plenty of those examples from my childhood, things I associate very, very closely with my mom. And one of the things I still love to this day are my mom's chicken and dumplings. In fact, when she knows that I will be visiting and I've had a long (laughs) week with my kids and I'm feeling a little burned out and in need of some real comfort, my mom will say, oh, I thought I might make chicken and dumplings. She probably hears my like sigh of relief over the phone and I perk up the thought of my mom serving me a bowl of that dish sort of transforms my mood. And it's pretty rustic, pretty homey as far as this dish goes. My mom typically uses bone-in, skin-on chicken parts and pieces, and I'm a big fan of chicken skin, and I love chewing poultry bones, which she knows. That's a main component, of course. The other component being these dumplings, which are nearly as hearty. She makes large dumplings that almost approach the size of like a pack of cards. And of course, that's facilitated by the fact that she uses Bisquick. So there's sort of a dense dumpling that sort of covers the entire surface of the stock pot, almost like conjoined, simmering away. And I happen to love that. I don't ever use Bisquick though. And so for me to replicate this dish in my own home, I would be turning toward other ingredients, you know, mixing things up from scratch. And of course, my mom is perfectly capable of making biscuits without Bisquick, but it's just something she's always had in the pantry and finds it works for some of her purposes. I have nothing but the highest praise and respect for my mom's chicken and dumplings, but I would be so hard pressed to make them the way she makes them. I most likely would be inclined to tinker around. And one of the recipes that I ran across fairly recently within the past few weeks seems really worth a try. It's for Rocco de Spirito's chicken and dumpling soup. And it happens to be from his most recent cookbook all about keto comfort food, Rocco's keto comfort food diet. So the dumplings are gluten-free. What that entails is mixing almond flour with cheese, baking powder, and an egg. It's almost the same format for chaffles, which I tested for my blog back in February and posted. And it just kind of blows your mind when you mix cheese and egg, almond flour, and baking powder together, throw it in a waffle iron, and a waffle comes out, or what looks like a waffle. It's a chaffle. (laughs) 
in food trend parlance and it's beloved of keto and paleo dieters. Anyway, I've made these for myself numerous times since. So I'm really intrigued by the idea of using almond flour to make dumplings for a version of this dish. And I posted the recipe to my most recent blog on May 8th under the headline gluten-free dumplings lighten classic chicken dish. You can go find that recipe for chicken and dumpling soup. It has that classic chicken and dumpling flavor with celery, carrot, onion, garlic, all simmered together, and then those gluten-free almond flour dumplings. Looking back through my blog archives, I found it interesting that the dish that my mom most closely associates with her mother and comforting memories also is gluten-free, which is sort of strange for the era. It's a battered and fried chicken, but it uses potato starch, and the recipe is straight out of the 1960s. It's sort of kind of Asian-inspired, but uses very, very simple ingredients. I have this recipe in my recipe box. Again, it's one of those ones I could make. I just so much prefer it when my mom makes it. It's the whole ambiance. It's the love and the care that sort of infused into it. But I did share the recipe back in 2008, May 7th, 2008, under the headline Family Recipes Archive History. And the Mail Tribune was soliciting readers' favorite family recipes at the time. This can be found in my blog archives at blogs.esouthernoregon.com forward slash rogue hyphen valley hyphen food. And the easiest way to find it is select from the drop down menu on the right hand side of the page under archives, select May 2008 and page all the way down because they're posted in reverse order. This is a dish that you sort of have to suspend disbelief a little bit (laughs) in today's food world to enjoy. It's more reminiscent of a very, very basic quote-unquote sweet and sour chicken served at many Asian restaurants preparing lots of deep fried just sort of sugary sauced specialties. The difference with this one is it's baked in the oven. I'm not sure if that was to ensure the chicken was cooked or to make sure that the sauce had sort of gone all the way through the breading. I find the cooking times in here a bit long but a great sort of introduction to Americanized Asian comfort foods might be the best way to describe it. Japanese chicken, it calls for two pounds boneless, skinless chicken breasts, two eggs that are well beaten, a cup of potato starch, canola or peanut oil for frying, one and a half cups sugar, one cup cider vinegar, one half cup chicken stock, a third cup ketchup, and two tablespoons soy sauce. Now again, this is a gluten-free recipe if you choose a wheat-free soy sauce. Tamari sauce made from fermented soybeans is a great choice, and I always use tamari sauce rather than the ones that are labeled soy sauce in grocery stores. So look for that, and this is gluten-free. This recipe does entail deep frying, which will take a fairly large quantity of oil, making the sauce sort of emits some fumes from the vinegar that make my mom's eyes water, but she loves this dish so much that she's willing to put up with that. The potato starch 
is fairly easy to find these days. A lot of grocery stores, Bulk Bins, Stock It, and Bob's Red Mill is a brand that I have purchased on a number of occasions over the years. Japanese chicken starts by cutting the two pounds boneless, skinless chicken breast into large but still bite-sized pieces. You also could use boneless, skinless chicken thighs. They just won't be quite so tender. Mix the two eggs with the one cup potato starch in a bowl with a little water. Heat a few inches of the canola or peanut oil in a large saucepan and check the oil temperature just by dripping in a bit of the batter, which should brown quickly. Dip the chicken pieces into the batter and deep fry until brown. You're probably gonna have to do this in batches. I like to use a deeper, sort of narrower saucepan for this because the oil level comes up with a lesser quantity of oil. You'll wanna deep fry probably a few times until you get all the chicken fried, but it can sit and rest on a paper towel lined plate. In a saucepan, combine the one and a half cups sugar. Told you it's like sweet and sour sauce. <laughs> the one cup cider vinegar, the half cup chicken stock, the third cup ketchup, and the two tablespoons soy or tamari sauce. Bring to a boil and cook until the mixture thickens into a sauce. This is gonna take several minutes and it's gonna have to boil away rapidly. Place the fried chicken in a baking dish, all those battered and fried pieces of chicken, and pour the sauce evenly over the top and cover the pan with foil. Now, you could just omit this step. You could just like dip the chicken pieces in the sauce and like serve this with rice and a stir-fried vegetable might be a little bit more modern take on this dish. But this is more in line with kind of the 1960s ethic of like casserole type cooking and making sure everything was all the way cooked through. It bakes in a preheated 300 degree oven. The original recipe says for 45 minutes. I feel like that is way overkill for something that already has been deep fried. Granted, it depends on how big your chicken pieces are, but I would think that 15 to 20 minutes covered at 300 degrees, provided the oven is preheated, should be plenty sufficient. Uncover the pan and increase the oven temperature to 350 degrees and bake, again, this says for another 45 minutes. I find for crisping up the exterior of something, once you raise the oven temperature, it doesn't take nearly that long and certainly could be accomplished, I think, in 15 or 20 minutes and the chicken is still going to be cooked through. If there's any doubt, you can insert a probe thermometer, make sure the internal temperature of the chicken is registering 170 degrees, but there's no need for dried out chicken, which <laughs> this sauce keeps it nice and moist, but why cook it to 1960 standards when we've certainly loosened up from there? Serve this over rice with a side dish of stir-fried vegetables, and that makes eight servings. And it is an ultimate kind of comfort food in that like Chinese takeout genre. Japanese chicken from my blog archives at blogs.easternoregon.com forward slash rogue hyphen valley hyphen food published May 7th, 2008 under the headline Family Recipes Archive History from the recipe box of my grandmother, Jane Perry. 
Find more family favorite and comfort food recipes in the current post to my blog, The Whole Dish, at mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. Thanks for listening to and reading The Whole Dish.